Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 347 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find lots of writing resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the book, just launched, going nuts, The Fire Star. How the are you? The Fire Star? Sorry? How it's are going you? Amazing. Oh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I should have known what that was going to be, right? Oh how God. are you, Al? Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm good, thanks, Val. I'm, it's, it's all, I've been very busy. I've been driving all over the place to different bookshops and saying hello to people and, you know, sharing stuff. There's podcast interviews everywhere. There's, oh, there's so much going on out there in the world. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, so very I'm, it's, it's lovely to be chatting to you one week after the Firestar you know, hit the bookshop shelves and I've been yes. to see it in various bookshops, which has been great. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's, it's been quite a week. It, it has. I've drunk some bubbles. I've drunk some Brilliant. beers. I've drunk some tea. I've drunk a lot of coffee and, okay. um, yeah. And now it's almost like, okay, it's, it's nearly time for everything just to go back to normal because I have not really written anything on my new book at all for that whole week. So mm. uh, my deadline looms and it's almost time for me just to go, okay, now I'm just going to get back into my, you know, my uniform, my, as my mm. husband calls it, my daily outfit and um, <laughs> walk my dog because that's what I'll be doing. Wow. So mm. I will be this afternoon uh, going to my local bookshop and um, they sell alcohol there, so <laughs> <laughs> it'll be wine o'clock, and Books I and will bars. be making sure that it is in pride of place. I'm gonna like, you know, turn it, make sure that it's that the cover is showing face and out. The rest of it. Yes. So you're gonna be out there rearranging all the bookshop shelves. Exactly. Right. We won't. Well, let's not quiet. mention where exactly you're going, so oh, that your book, yeah. so your bookshop owner doesn't know it was you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I shall be doing that while drinking wine. Oh, sounds like a great way to spend an evening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So very exciting. In case there are some new listeners, what is The Firestar? Uh, the Firestar is my brand new upper middle grade novel. Uh, it's called The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. It's the first book uh, in what I hope will be one million Raven and Re- Yes. Maven and Reeve mysteries, if I get the title right, um, and it's a it's a story about uh, a, a maid called Maven and a squire called Reeve, and they have three days to find a dazzling jewel, or they will lose everything. So, on one level, it's a mystery story. Uh, it's about friendship and teenagers, you know, coming together to solve this terrible, terrible thing that happens. Um, And then on another level, it's about rebellion, large and small, and it's about, you know, secret societies and it's about political intrigue and all of those things that I love. Fantastic. And it's out now. And we have some surprises for you listeners in terms of our giveaway. You can probably guess what it might be this week. (laughs) But we want to give a big shout out to Giselle from Australia who kindly left us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, entitled it Comfort Listening with Loads of Inspiration. We're comfort listening, Al. Comfort listening. I like that. I feel like mashed potato when people say that. (laughs) 
We are the mashed potato of podcasts. Giselle says, I started listening to this podcast again in June when I felt secure to turn my GPS off after starting at a new school out of the city. Boy, did I miss Val and Al. I now listen to every current episode and in between I'm listening to all the backlog episodes. I listen on the way to school and back home. That's nearly two hours a day. You make the drive bearable and it feels like I'm cuddling up in a warm, soft blanket and a hot cup of chocolate. Every day you inspire me, motivate me and inform me on all things writing and I am eternally grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. By the way, I'm Team Banoffee Pie. Sorry, Alison. <laughs> what? I'm feeling very unsoft blanket-like all of a sudden. <laughs> and I love the word of the week. <laughs> I love your banter over each word. Thanks for making this emerging writer feel that her dreams are possible. How awesome. <clears throat> thank you so much, Giselle. <clears throat> From Australia. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Giselle. Really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review because, and I can certainly speak for both of us when we say it's made our week, hasn't it, Al? It has made our week. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. We are not fair to middling in any way, shape, or form. And no. of course, if anyone we are else. mashed potato, has, which is a whole different thing. mashed potato and hot chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. If you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or your particular podcast app we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings now we also have a very exciting creative conversation coming up it's going to be on saturday the 12th of september at 11 a.m eastern standard time sydney melbourne brisbane time so Um, this saturday at 11 a.m saturday Um, at 11am, the 12th of September, and you can join us on this Facebook Live and actually join the conversation. Um, So I'm going to be in conversation and I'm going to be grilling Alison on all things to do with Yeah, grilling. All things to do with her writing process, how she gets it done, because she is the single most prolific writer that I know. Because not only does she write her novels, she juggles a whole range of other things and has done for a long time. So I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of how she actually gets that done on a practical level. I may also ask her a bunch of personal questions, which you may be interested in the answer to. What? (laughs) About this so <laughs> be prepared for that. And um, we are going to start a thread where you can pre-ask some of your questions. That's going to be in the Facebook group for listeners. So you, it's free to join if you haven't joined yet. Just go on Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and um, request to join. We'd love to have you in there. And I'm going to start a thread so that we have some of the questions pre-submitted so that um, – you know, we can we can arrange our time appropriately. Mm, mm, absolutely. Uh, but very, very, very exciting on Saturday the 12th of September at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you want to join us, it will be um, a Facebook Live in that podcast group but also on other Australian Writers' Centre pages. Um, that, that's probably the easiest place for you to join. And we're going to be fielding questions. You'll see your question come up on the screen and it'll be a lot of fun as well. So... Yeah, that's what's happening um, this Saturday. Now I'm just going to be of... worried about the personal questions now for days and days and days. <laughs> just start well, thinking about some personal answers. <laughs> you're allowed, Al, you're allowed to give me some, say, maybe one no-go zone and I will respect that. 
So you can just tell me we are one a children's no author. <laughs> let's, let's not get too carried away here. <laughs> but otherwise, because I think people are interested in the person behind the cover of the book. So okay. it's not it, – while we are going to have a lot of the focus on the writing process, it will also be a holistic approach to Alison and her creativity. So Hashtag yes, all about Al. Yes, <laughs> but you are allowed to give me one no-go zone and that's okay. I know. All right. Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. We have an excellent post on actually the Australian Writer Centre blog, five key mistakes to avoid when self-editing your manuscript. Because here's the thing, so many people get so excited that they finish their first draft. You know, they've finished, it's it's taken potentially months. Some people, it takes years. But, you know, it's taken a long time of blood, sweat and tears to get to write the end on your manuscript and some people think okay because I get emails all the time or messages all the time saying I finished my first draft can you just recommend an editor and they think they just need to send it off to an editor who's gonna spit and polish on it and and it will be amazing yeah and they'll send it off to a publisher but before you even send it to an editor because if you do that you're wasting your time really mm. because you need to edit it first. And I don't mean editing it in terms of just proofreading it. No. I mean, you should do that anyway at some point. Mm. But um, but you need to edit the overall structure of the story and there is a very specific way that you need to do that. So this post goes into five key mistakes to avoid and um, – the first one is is kind of like what I've just said. Mistake number one is thinking the end is actually the end, but it's so not. It's so important to, before you even send it to the editor, put it away for a couple of months. Some people might put it away for six months. Some people, you know, it just however long you can bear and come back to it with a fresh eye because you will read things and see things that you just couldn't see before because you were way too close to it. And that's just so important, isn't it, Al? It's it's really important because uh, you have to stop reading it like a writer and you have to read it like a reader. And the only way to do yes. that is to put some space between what you've written and, and you know, the, the actual first read of it. Um, mm. So you need to put it aside. You also need to look at it, um, you got to look at it critically. Like you mm. really have to actually go Absolutely. pretty hard on yourself. And, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about uh, like structural edits are very difficult things and they're very hard to do. Um, your first, particularly when you're doing your first draft, you know, of your first book, of your first ever attempt at this, it is actually a very difficult thing um, to work your way through. So it's a great idea to get some idea of what you're doing before you start. Um, but the thing that I had to come to terms with, and we've we've talked about this many times, is that um, I always start my books in the wrong place. And, mm. you know, it's it took a couple of goes of this kind of work of a couple of different manuscripts for me to recognise that that's what I do and I think that that's something you only come to terms with as a writer you know as you go through you know several different processes um so you always 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 give a very critical eye to the start of your story and decide whether or not you've actually begun it in the right place um and then of course the other place that you have to look very critically at is your ending and whether mm-hmm. it's satisfying and whether yeah. or not it whether or not what you've done and this is something I do see um, with people who particularly start out with a, a first draft, particularly if you're not um, a plotter, 
um, is that the book you end up with, the book you finish writing and the book that you write the end for is actually not the book you started because if you write your way into a story, sometimes your best stuff kind of comes along in the middle and you go forward with that, but you haven't actually set that up from the beginning. So if you look at the start of your story and then at the end of your story and there's sort of like a bit of a disconnect, you've got to go back over that story and work out how you can set that ending up. Um, yes. Like what have you missed at the start of your story that hasn't set up that ending? Um, and you do feel like you're just swimming in words. You feel like you're lifting words up here and you know that every word that you you sort of, everything you change at the beginning of a manuscript is going to have ripple effects and impact all the way through to the end. And yes. so it's potentially going to take you a few drafts to get it right, you know. Yes. And I think being ready and willing to do that work, that's the key. That's the difference. Like you can have the best idea in the whole world. You can be an incredibly talented writer, but if you are not willing to get in there and do that work and dig the holes that you need to, you know, and throw out the words that you need to throw out and do all the things that you need to do, if you're not willing to do that work, you're going to very, very much struggle to get a publishable manuscript together. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's very, very important to be able to look at it critically, just as Alison has mentioned. And Angela Slatter, um, who is, uh, you know, a writer, author, editor, um, a mentor, says you, um, you need to read your manuscript as if it's a book you've bought, as if it's mm. someone else's baby, much easier to either criticise or be kind in that circumstance. And you can assess what does and does not work in the narrative against your expectations as a reader, a critical reader. So mm. very, very important. Um, a couple of other mistakes that I mentioned that are mentioned here are throwing around $5 words like confetti. <laughs> so... Angela says, the you know the ones I mean, multi-syllabic, hard to spell words that scream, look at me. Words <laughs> of the dollar... week, in other words. <laughs> Throwing around too many words of the week like confetti. Mine are $500 words, thank you. <laughs> $5 words. Um, Angela says, $5 words are wonderful. They can make an impact in a story. But here's the thing. If you string together a bunch of them, they stop having an effect. A $5 word only stands out if it's in a setting of perfectly functional five-cent words. But it also has to be the right $5 word. It's got to be the perfect $5 word. It's got to be the only word that you could put there that is going to make that whole sentence. Because as yeah. she points out in the next bit, they stop. They do stop readers. Like a $5 word is the kind of word that mm. stand, it stands out on a page. It is going to stop you. If you put a whole bunch of them together, it does slow things down. And I think that that's something else that you get to learn the more that you edit your work, the more that you go through this process is yes. pacing is a really important part of a manuscript. And it's one of the most difficult things to explain and one of the most difficult things to understand within your own work. But basically, if you've got you know, it's it's about length of sentences. It's about um, the density of the text. It's about your $5 words. The more of them that you have, the more introspective and descriptive 
um, the text is at any particular time, then the, it's going to slow things down for the reader. It's going to slow the story down. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't, I'm not, you know, because sometimes what you want is you want to slow it down. You want to bring the reader right back inside your character. You want to bring the reader into the moment mm -hmm. of what this character is feeling. And the biggest moments in any story are often the ones that you really want to kind of draw out and slow down so that people can see that this is this is big. This is where you are, you know. Like if you've got a lot of short, sharp sentences, um, you know, your reader is rolling, 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 and there's mm -hmm. a lot of action and it's all very exciting um, and that's great you know, for certain things. But if you really want to have an impact of what's going on emotionally, particularly with your reader, then you want to slow it down and bring it to them. And that's possibly where you're going to need a few $5 words. Yes, yes. So very, very important um, to make sure that you are thinking about what you need to do. Now, the problem is that a lot of people, the feedback that I certainly hear is that a lot of people don't know where to start. They know they need to do this. Mm, like, it's hard. So they, it doesn't yeah. need, they Get don't need some convincing. help. Yeah. So they know they need to do this, but unsure about the actual steps. So I'm pretty excited about the course that we've got called Cut, Shape, Polish, your editing framework for a masterful manuscript, where we basically lay out the blueprint, lay out all of the steps that you need to take in a linear fashion. So you're literally just, you just go through these steps and you'll end up with a manuscript that is a lot better by the end mm -hmm. than it was at the beginning. So if right. you want to have a look at that, go to writercenter.com.au slash polish. That's writercenter.com.au slash polish. All right, let us move on. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Our giveaway this week, we have we three copies of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery by A.L. Tate. Huzzah! <laughs> Cartwheels, parade, fireworks. The wonderful Amy Kaufman, New York Times bestselling author, has said, I was up past midnight finishing this book. The mystery kept me turning the pages and I felt like I'd known Maven and Reeve forever. Love it. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, a maid with a plan, a squire with a secret, a missing jewel, a kingdom in turmoil. Maven and Reeve have three days to solve the mystery of the Firestar. If they don't, they'll lose everything. This could be a complete disaster or the beginning of a friendship. Best-selling author A.L. Tate is back with the intriguing story of two unlikely allies and a mystery to solve that could change their lives. If you would like one, to, if you would like to win one of three copies of the Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery, go to writercenter.com.au/win. Entries close on the 14th of September, but don't worry if you're at that URL in the future, you'll have another fantastic book to win, but this is particularly fantastic. So go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Here we go. Now, Al. Now, Val, are you ready for the word <laughs> of the week? Oh, yes, people, we are turning the tables. Now, I have to tell you, Valerie turned up completely unprepared today, but never fear because I have come to the rescue. Word of the week will be ongoing. And what I'm going to do because you know what, it's about time that I just took charge of this, right, because I've done how many years have I done of, oh, oh I'm so ready. Um, so 
Book Boy has received a new has got a new game and it's called mm. Call My Bluff. And basically mm. what it is is I'm gonna read you a word. I'm gonna read you three different definitions for that word oh and you're gonna tell me which one you think it is. The pressure. So, the pressure. So, Val. Yes. Are you ready for the word of the week? So ready, Al. <laughs> we could just stop now. It's just so satisfying. All right. Your first option, okay. fustigate. Fustigate, F-U-S-T-I-G-A-T-E. Is it to make something heavier, to criticise harshly, or to treat something with chemicals in order to preserve it? Fustigate. Wow. Okay. So if I was on Hard Quiz with Tom Gleeson. <laughs> this is Hard Quiz with Al. Hashtag. I would drag this out for as long as possible. Yeah, no, well, we don't have all day, so just come up with an option. <laughs> all is right, it, so. Do you want me to read you through the options again? A, to make yes, something heavier. Yeah. B, to criticise harshly. Or C, to treat something with chemicals in order to preserve it. Fustigate. All right. So I would take a guess that Fustigate is C, to treat something with chemicals. Bum, bum. Oh, I got it wrong. Fustigate is to criticise harshly. Oh, do you want to do geez. another one? Just for fun, just go because on. I'm having such a good time here. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we are going to go with, mm. actually you might relate to this one, Ergaceomania, okay. Ergaceomania. E-R-G-A-S-I-O-M-A-N-I-A. Wow, ergacio, okay. Ergacio. Is it A, an excessive desire to sleep? Mm-hmm. B, an excessive desire to dominate? Or C, an excessive desire to work? Ergacio. mania. I'm going to say B, an excessive desire to dominate. Bum, bum. Oh, I got it wrong. The answer is C, yeah. an excessive desire to work, which is why I thought you might get it wow. because, you know, you do more work than anyone I've ever met in oh. my whole life. Anyway, so two words of the week for one. You can't say I don't give good value, people. And that oh was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our course, Novel Writing Essentials. Whether you've already started your opening chapters or just have a story idea, this eight-week online course will help you shape the beginning of your novel through weekly lessons and workshopping in a supportive environment with your very own tutor. Here's what Ingrid Alexandra says. What prompted me to take the course was that ultimately my, my ultimate goal was to be published and I knew from feedback that I could write that I was on the right track, but I couldn't seem to get past a certain point with, with publishers. So I decided to, to take a course and the Australian Writers' Centre has some very reputable courses and some authors have definitely come out the other side with publishing deals and so that was obviously very encouraging. Definitely one of the most useful things I got out of the course was uh, meeting other authors and being able to brainstorm, being able to network and because writing can be quite an isolating career so finding other like-minded people was pretty amazing. I learned to reflect on my work critically. It's had a positive impact because it's basically changed the way that I that I approach writing and I definitely wouldn't be as far along as I am in my publishing career. Ultimately I think writing is a craft, it can be taught. Some people might be lucky enough to be born with a, a natural gift but like anything, like any ability, you need to 
to hone it and to work on it to perfect it. And I'm now pleased to say I'm a published author. I highly recommend taking a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, no matter what stage of uh, your career you're at. Whether you just want to get that book finished that's been sitting there for ages, that you've been working on for years, or whether your ultimate goal is to get published. Very helpful for me, as you can see by the outcome. To get your manuscript off to the best possible start, go to writercentre.com.au slash novel essentials. All right, so now we move on to our writer-in-residence. Who is our writer-in-residence this week, Al? Our writer-in-residence is Fiona Palmer. Now, Fiona was a Speedway driver. She has done interesting things with lambs. She lives um, um, 350 kilometres from Perth in a very, very tiny town. And she is also someone who began writing rural rural romance, which I always find so hard to say, rural yes. romance, um, and has branched out into sort of life-lit sort of stuff in, in rural um, areas. Um, so we had a great old chat about how she went from speedway driver to, you know, best-selling author. Fiona Palmer is the Australian author of 12 best-selling novels, both YA and adult fiction. Her new novel, Tiny White Lies, is out now with Ashette. Welcome to the program, Fiona. Thank you, Alison. Great to be here. All right. Now, reading your bio, I see that before becoming an author, you had jobs ranging from actual speedway driver to teacher's assistant. So tell us about your first novel, which I think was called The Family Farm. How did that come to be published? It was it was all rather crazy. Um, you know, I left school earlier after year 11. English was probably one of my worst subjects. So, you know, being an author was nowhere near uh, the top list of my professions. <laughs> Um, so I, went, I did many jobs, you know, I um, worked as a Rousey, worked on crutching cradles. Um, can, you just explain, for, can you just explain for our city like slicker listeners what a crutching cradle is? <laughs> just so that we're getting the full picture of the it, gamut of your experience. More or less. Yeah, we, we, you crutch the back end of a sheep so they, you know, keeps um, that area clean so the flies don't come and blow them. So it's, you know... <laughs> So it's a very glamorous, glamorous job, oh, right? Yeah, they're all glamorous. Um, I think, you know, uh, the dirtier the better. <laughs> I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. Okay, but, so you were aroused about, you were crutching yep. sheep. You were. Mm -hmm. now, how did you come to be a speedway driver? Um, that's a family thing. My granddad raced, my dad raced, you know, his brothers. Um, it. I grew up listening to the stories. We had go-karts when we were three and cars when we could reach the pedals. So I was sort of more or less born in a, in a car. You know, I used to spend my days as a 14-year-old practising reverse spins and donuts and stuff. So, <laughs> um, I went racing when I was 16 and um, right up until I was pregnant with my daughter. Uh, and then had a, you know, a 16-year gap and then the kids started racing um, and then I got back into it. So I'm out there racing with my dad, which uh, which I absolutely love. It's good fun. Oh, so you're still doing it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, just got back into it. Um, this is the second year back in, which is, you know, it's been fun. Um, trying to chase dad down on the track, he's a very good driver. So my aim is to, you know, just get out there and beat him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so you've left school. English is not really your thing. You're out there doing mm -hmm. all of these sort of outside, you know, as you say, yes. the dirtier, the better kind of jobs. 
How, how did you come to write a novel and how did it come to be published? Yeah, well, I it's probably, you know, after all these different jobs, uh, um, you know, working as a secretary uh, at the Shire, you know, I went away to college in Perth for a bit, learnt to touch type, um, which comes in handy when mm. you want to write a book. Yeah. And, um, and then I had my kids and my mum and I took on the local shop uh, business together in a partnership and so that kept us so busy and, you know, add in a baby and a toddler. Um, I just didn't have time to read. I didn't have time for myself. And I started, I guess, to daydream, which, you know, I'm very good at <laughs> daydreaming and <laughs> away with the fairies sort of thing. But I started um, just creating this story in my head and it was about all the things I love, you know. I, I love where I live, um, the country, the small community, how they all rally together. Uh, I always, I grew up on my uncle's farm and, you know, he's since sold that, but that was the grounding for, you know, I guess my love of the land. And so I started in my head writing this story about a girl who wanted to work the family farm and um, it got that way. Uh, my head felt so full, like I was trying to remember all these scenes and because um, I sort of play it like a movie in my head. So then I started just typing it out. I opened up Word and I just started typing it out um, really with no expectation to write a book but I just wanted to clear my head and um, then it kind of morphed and I kept thinking up new scenes and kept writing and in a space of three years in between kids and work um, I sort of got it finished um, and then family read it and said, you know, this is, this is really good. You should try and get it published. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. How do you, how do you get something published? Um, so, of course, I went to Google, best, best friend Google, <laughs> when you live out in the middle of nowhere. And um, the first thing that came up when I typed in, you know, how to publish a book uh, was the Australian Society of Authors uh, website. And they had, it was highlighted because they were running a mentorship program. So you would... Uh, enter it by uh, submitting your first three chapters they would read it and if they thought your story had merit etc um, one of the I think they had like 10 positions available and you got to work with a uh, published author like for 20 free hours and um, I was one of the lucky ones that got selected they said I had a really engaging voice etc um, so that was invaluable for me because the published author went through my manuscript and said, for a start, you need double spacing, paragraphing, indenting. Like, I had no idea how to set out a manuscript. So that was, for me, a big eye-opener. Um, and from there, you know, knowing how bad I am at English, I made sure all my teacher friends read it for me, um, went through it all. And it was about this time that my auntie, she'd read it and loved it. And she read Rachel Treasure's Gillaroo and sent oh, yeah. it to me and said, you must read this. You know, it's just like your book. It's a rural sort of story. I read it and, of course, loved it. I hadn't read anything like it. And, um, so you hadn't it. Was... read rural romance at that point? You hadn't read anything in that sort of No, there, there was nothing really like it at that time. You know, this is about 2000 and... Oh, seven, two thousand and eight, um, and yeah, that was the first story of its kind I'd ever read, and that just gave me the courage to think, oh, okay, they do publish, you know, rural stories. So I went straight to Penguin. You know, you're not meant to back then. You have to have an agent, etc. But um, I got their address, and I wrote a letter and said, oh, my story 
stories like Rachel Treasures. I think there should be more rural stories out there. And I uh, sent them the first three chapters. And um, from there, the office girl replied and said, can you send the whole lot through? Because, you know, it's made its way to Ali Watts's desk, who was Rachel Treasures' publisher at the time. And uh, a few weeks later, I had an email from Ali herself saying she loved it and she was just seeing to, uh, waiting to see what the publishing house thought. Um, and then my next email was an offer of contract. So um, I kind of fell into being a writer. <laughs> it's a fairly extraordinary story. Like, had you done a lot, like while you were doing all this roustabouting, speedway driving, mm. tractor driving, cradle crutching, whatever you were doing, um, yep. had you, were you reading a lot? Like, was it sort of like... Because it's a really interesting story to go from I'm leaving a school in year 11, I'm not very good at English, to yep. doing all of those jobs to I'm going to write a book. Like that's a big exactly. jump. I often tell people I don't write for the love of words. I write for the love of telling a story. I love to tell a yarn like most country people do. Yeah. Um, so it's I think that's what drove me was my passion for where I live, wanting to tell our story kind of thing. And um, it. It is a bit weird, I suppose, how I fell into it. But I do remember I loved writing stories at, at school. Mm. You know, I yeah. really took delight in creating stories. And, um, you know, I loved watching a lot of movies and I would rewrite the endings in my head if I didn't think they finished how I would like them to. Um, and I used to read lots when I was a kid. I mean, when I was 11, Mum only had Danielle Steele um, books in her library. So Summer's End was the first book I remember reading um mm. that probably started my romance love affair but um i went through a big time period where i didn't read and it wasn't until i was a teacher's aide and the teacher started reading harry potter to the kids and i was just like oh i, I need to read the rest of this and so <laughs> i went to the library and i just read the whole series and you know became obsessed again with the magic of reading um and i'd say it's from reading and watching movies that that was enough to guide me I think organically into how to write a story you know if, as I was writing if it bored me then I figured the reader's going to get bored so um, it was a very organic process. And just to, to kind of put this into perspective for our um, listeners where exactly do you live like you're like you say you know you're in the middle of nowhere you're in yeah. WA where yes. exactly are you? Like in the sense of what, how, like you, what are you? Um, next to, I always say I'm um, in between Wave Rock in Hyden and Nat Fife okay. land. And Lake how Grace. far is that from Perth? <laughs> so it's about, oh, it's about a three and a half hour drive, four hour drive. Okay. Um, which is, which isn't very far. I mean, gosh, there's further places to go. Um, but it, the fact is our town's got four little houses and a shop. Um we used to have a school. I went to primary school there, but that closed down in um, 1998. Um, we have a tennis club that sits dormant, and uh, we have an amazing golf club that we still have about five people that play <laughs> on weekends. But it's a you know it weaves around big granite rocks, so it's a pretty little spot. And um, well, it's home, so yeah. um, I like that we're you know real small community, and we sort of yeah rally together. Great. So all of your first novels were in that sort of rural romance section of the bookshelf. But yep. as time's gone on, your stories, you know, have changed. Can you mm. talk us through how and why that happened? Yeah, it was by my eighth one, I guess. Um, I did have another one planned to 
follow on from the family secret. But um, at this time, you know, in those eight years, real romance had exploded and there was just so many out there and I'd read quite a lot and I'd written quite a lot and I was feeling like every word felt like I'd written it somewhere or read it somewhere. I was Mm. feeling like this is very repetitive um, and I guess I just... I needed a break and that's when Rachel John says, oh, do you want to come on a boat cruise with me? You know, it'd be great research. And we did. And the moment she said that and I booked my tickets, I started an idea came forth, which became Secrets Between Friends. Um, and I just wanted to write that. I mean, I've lived in the city as well. So, you know, yeah. I, I want to write about those experiences. And, um, and it just felt nice to, I guess, you know, open up the world and get to write about other places. Um, and, yeah, and that sort of – the publishers sort of preferred that I stick with rural, but, um, you know, my agent says, no, we'll, we'll find someone, and, and that's when we went to Hachette um, and started reading more Life Lit and, you know, still still talking about issues, uh, relationship issues, you know, family issues, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just I've got more, more of a – I guess I can use the whole world now instead of just being set rural. But in saying that, you know, a lot of, you know, like uh, Tiny White Lies is set on the rural rugged coastline, so um, I'm still dabbling a little bit. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that, whether you think that, that, you know, that your novels still have those rural kind of roots, even as the, you know, even as Mm. the worlds expand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Matters of the Heart was, um, you know, set in a country town, so that was sort of diving back into it again. Yeah. and, you know, using um, Bremer Bay as the place in Tiny White Lies, you know, I love, you know, if I can write about it, I'll put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you go about building a sense of place in your stories? Because it is, you know, that Australian setting is important uh, to a lot of what you write. How, how do you build it? Like what's, how do you kind of, you know, do you see a place in your mind and, you know, look at the tiny details of it or how do you go about immersing a reader in a world? Yeah, I do. Well, like with Tiny White Lies, you know, Bremer Bay's a place where we, you know, I take the kids and they have their school holidays and it's a place where they get to sort of detox from the internet as well. And so it, it was relevant for the book. And, you know, I use uh, what I've seen, experienced, but in my mind I also created um, the place for the book to what I needed it to be. You know, I'm a very visual person, so I visualised the farm, you know, it had to have paddocks for sheep, and but it also had the rugged landscapes and the sand tracks down to the beach. Um, and so it, it sort of gets made and created in my mind, and then I'm just trying to write what I see. And what, mm. Yeah. Okay. But so it, where... But, sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> where, where do you start with your writing process, like for Tiny White Lies? Like where did you begin with that? Is it a character is it a question is it you know and then do you plot or do you just sort of write like how does it work for you yeah it was very much um I guess first thing came was my teenage children and you know going away to boarding school at the age of 12 they sort of you know the necessity for a phone so they could call me I could contact them um so they had phones pretty young younger than I probably would have preferred but uh and with that all the fear and all the the drama with all the, all the you know things they got access to, and so that was 
forefront at my mind and I thought I need to write about this so that was my initial start for Tiny White Lies and then um, of course you know I wanted to write about a family just having a digital detox and going to a place where there is no internet so there's some days I just wish the whole internet would blow up so we just you know had the freedom to not have you know like procrastination when I'm trying to write if there's no internet I'm sure I'd write twice as much so there's <laughs> That, that spurred that on and, and from there I, I knew I needed, you know, I wanted two families that go down and um, and then I sort of built up the characters. Uh, sometimes I like to go and look for photos of the characters online and that'll sometimes spur on ideas. You know, I might see a photo of a face like in the current book I'm writing. I went looking and I come across this beautiful photo of this girl with scars on her face and, you know, that just boom an idea came and that ended up being a massive backstory um so yeah there's sort of you never know when you're going to find inspiration um but i'm very much a plotter so i will you know get my character sorted what's going to happen to them organize how the book's going to you know middle start end etc and i'll write out a synopsis um three or four five page sort of detailing the characters and what's going to happen. And then I start from Chapter 1 and work my way through um, until I get to the end. Okay. That's how, you make it sound so easy. Like I, <laughs> I just, I I just wish. Think, think of what's going to happen and then I write it. That sounds yep. great. Um, like for me, I think one of the most difficult aspects of contemporary fiction, particularly when you're dealing you know, with friends who are from a similar place and a similar age and, you know, is ensuring that their your characters' voices are distinct. It's very difficult to make people who are similar sound like they have different voices on the page. You know, well, for me, obviously, you're quite used to it. But, like, what are some of the things that you do to ensure that those characters have a distinct voice? Yeah, that can be tricky, isn't it? You've got to... Sometimes you might draw from, you know, characters you've meet, met, you know, over the years or um, all sorts of different things. You've, yeah, that's, that's where it gets tricky. And it's not only for that book, but it's every other book you've written. You're yeah. sort of trying to be different. And, you know, people say, oh, it's a bit easier when you, you've written this many books. But I think it actually gets harder because for each book you want to be better. You want to grow as an author. But you... You know, you've had all these characters beforehand and all these situations, so you're trying to make something fresh and um, oh, that comes with a lot of pressure. <laughs> Do you have fallback phrasing that you have to go through each manuscript and edit out? Like I know, you know, when I write, um, when I write that obviously when I'm, particularly when I'm drafting, I'll have phrases that I know have come across different books that I then have to go back and actually actively look for. They're kind of things that I fall back on when I'm looking to describe something or whatever and I have to go back, like my own personal set yep. of cliches. Do you have those? I, I'm pretty sure I probably do. Um, and that they get <laughs> weaseled out in all the editing process. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's um, – I try not to think about that until I've done the first draft. Yeah. I just – the main thing is to get, get something down and then, yeah, go through um, – Editing's where I fall down. That's what I really need to focus on a bit more. Um, you know, not being that good at English, I'm really bad at trying to pick up mistakes because um, I just get so lost in the story that I, I read past every mistake. You know, my brain just automatically t tells me what it should be. Um, so yeah. 
that's sort of something I'm working on is the whole editing process. Um, so your press release says you're a writer of women's and YA fiction. So I guess I have to ask you what you think the key is to writing, and you're obviously a successful writer of women's fiction. So what is the key to writing successful women's fiction? How do you engage that audience? I don't know. It's one of those, um, I tend to just write what I want to read and the things you know that inspire me um and i figure that if i'm getting bored by my own story then so is the reader um so I'm like it's like hey it must be time to throw something else in here um Car chase. <laughs> yeah exactly and you know but I, i'm I, I read a lot of different books as well you know like that's probably the reason i wrote ya i love reading ya um, i'll read most genres especially if there's a romantic thread mm. always keeps me um invested but uh my ya series is a bit left field but um it's kind of based on a bit of a true story friend of mine um and i I wanted to tell his story through you know this work of fiction um and so he helped a lot with some of the you know terminology and the guns and the weapons and all the bits and pieces and the situations um and i had really fun writing that because i love i love reading fast-paced action as well so um yeah, that was different. So you, so your YA series is called is the MTG Agency series, and there's four books yep. in that series. Um, so it's you know it's a fast paced. It's got like spies and crime and stuff, hasn't it? Is that I haven't actually read yep. one, but um, is that like why did you so yeah like, okay so you like fast paced and you like that sort mm. of thing, but what made you think this has to be YA? Like what made you think you couldn't do that as a like a romance? series for older readers I well I, at one point I, I wanted to write a bit a uh, story like that um, secrets between friends I was making that more a bit fast-paced and spies and stuff but um, the publishers were like no it sort of won't fit we can't market it and it's a bit like my YA it's it was very hard to market because it's not quite YA you know jazz is 17 but it deals with a lot of adult themes you know they're yeah. They're taking down drug dealers. Um, they're trying to stop, you know, drug shipments and um, all sorts of stuff. You know, they they fly to Pakistan to try and get information. There's all sorts of stuff happening. Um, but because she's 17, you know, turning 18, it sort of put it in the YA class. And then they didn't know what to, you know, classify it as. But it's romance and action. And I mean, I absolutely loved writing it. <laughs> it was good fun. So speaking, like, let's talk about marketing for a moment because you are, you know, living in an isolated rural community. Does it create problems when it comes to promoting your books? Like, is it something that you have to factor in um, when it comes to actually, you know, book promotion and marketing? It, it is a lot harder. I mean, you know, that's the great thing about the internet is I can do a lot of things from home. It was a bit harder earlier on because we had really dodgy internet, so I couldn't Skype and do those kind of things. It just wouldn't work. But um, now it's a lot better. You know, I've been able to upgrade and get a better, like a signal booster and things like that. Um, but it is harder. Like if I want to do events, I've got a long journey just yeah. to get to the city. Um, but, you know, I'm used to driving as well. Great to yeah. listen to audio books. So, it's it has its disadvantages at times but um you know i really it's so easy to get on social media and just keep posting bits of the book so um that side of things is great um you know i work 
pretty much full time at the farm as well. So I juggle juggle both jobs, and I mean, the tractor has auto steer, so then I can sort of you know do some uh, marketing while I'm <laughs> doing another job. So you're actively sitting in a in a tractor while you're doing your um. See, so you're, yes. you're just right in it, are you? You're right there with the rule life. Are you? Do you? Um, so you you know you talk about social media. What um, where are you most active on social media? Like what works best for you as far as you know staying connected to your readers? I think Facebook is still my number one go. You know I've got over over nine thousand followers on my Facebook page, and I really like to engage with them all and try to reply. Um, I just built up such a, a wonderful readership there, and I like to nurture them and in, interact with them. Uh, Instagram is I'm on there a bit as well, um, and Twitter mainly. I'm mainly on Twitter to follow all the farming um, chats because oh, I right. really enjoy <laughs> keeping up. You know, it's kind of like the adult version, and it's a place where my kids my kids don't go on Twitter, so I can talk about them and they, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> Um, and what about other writers in the publishing community? Like, how do you stay plugged into that? Are you a member yeah. of, you know, groups or like you um, have, you know, like your own set of writing friends that you talk to regularly? Yeah, I definitely love the RWA, you know, the Romance Writers of Australia. They have been such a huge help in my journey. Like, I joined them up at the moment. I think I went to my first conference in 2010, I think, after my first book was out. And um, it's, I've met so many wonderful authors there and it's such a really supportive community. And um, uh, Rachel Johns and Anthea Hodson are, you know, my sort of my go-to girls Like when it comes to writing. We have a, a group chat and um, I really think you need to have that a group of writer friends who understand, you know, any time I'm stuck with a plot, I can tell them and they get it. Um, or, you know, they also understand what it's like to get those really, really horrible first structural edits and how devastated you are. And, you know, they help pick you up and keep you soldiering on. Um, and I think that's really important, especially being so isolated and I can't, you know, there's no, no one next to me that I can just go over and say, oh, you want to have a cuppa? I need to chat. So, being able to talk to them um, every day, you know, on, on Voxer is uh, really, really helpful and just, I don't know, it's great. Um, so you're working on a new book at the moment you mentioned. Is that coming out in 2021? Yeah, it'll be out next year. I'm not sure of release date yet. Um, they might be juggling it around just to try something different. But, yeah, I've got about oh, 8,000 words to go on it. Wow. And are you basically writing a book a year at the moment? Yeah, yep, a book a year. It works in great, especially between my farm work. Um, as you finish seeding, get off the tractor, and then I'll start uh, writing my next book. And I aim <laughs> for like 2,000 like... words a day, 10,000 words a week. Wow. So you have a writing <laughs> season along with all your other seasons. Yeah, yeah, and I have to get my first draft done before harvest starts. So that's where I'm at now. Um, I'd like to get the first draft done and hopefully the structural edits before about October mid, you know, I start going hammer and tongs uh, with harvest. That's and yeah, love, so it, at the moment it's been working really well. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. We're going to finish up with our um, final question, which we always ask. Now, first of all, I'm going to ask where can people find you online? Is it fionapalmer.com.au? That's it, yes. And what about on social media? Are you just Fiona Palmer um, author um, or? It's uh, Fiona underscore Palmer. 
I think, for most of them, for Twitter okay. and Instagram and, yeah. All right, keep an eye out for that, people. And we're going to finish up with your um, top three tips for writers. Okay. Well, that's – I say this over and over again, but – the best thing you can do is write. Look, look at me. I had no idea. I just opened Word and just started writing. You you need to get words on a page. Um, number one tip is just to start writing. And number two would be to write about what you're familiar with, especially if you're starting out, um, like I did, you know, write about country settings and country people, everything I knew. Um, and the third thing is write what you're passionate about and what you love because if you're invested in it, you'll be able to get that across onto the page and then bring people into it. Um, I really think if you, you know, anyone who's going to write about something they're not interested in, it's not really going to come across as good. So that would be my three tips. Excellent three tips. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for your time today, Fiona. It's been lovely. Good luck with the, with the writing and then with the harvesting, which I can imagine is fairly intense. And, um, and of course, with Tiny White Lies, which is out now in your favourite bookshop. Oh, thanks, Alison. It's been lovely. Awesome. That was Fiona Palmer. Fantastic. Always great to have authors of all different genres on our podcast. So this brings us to the end of this week's episode. Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Well, I'm talking to you and answering all of your personal <laughs> questions. Yes, so there's, there's that. Um, what else am I doing? I am – look, it's, I've got – you know, yeah, I, th I think I better write some words. I think Write a Book with Al will be back on with a passion, hopefully. Okay. Fingers crossed. That's what I'll be doing. What about you? What will you be doing? My current obsession is Cobra Kai on Netflix um, mm. and it's just my happy place right now. I don't know if other listeners are watching Cobra Kai. It is a highly different and it's a very unique television series, but if you're watching it, you are my people. Are you watching it, Al? I'm not watching it. I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh, my God. You totally have to watch it. It's basic. It's, it's a television series which is basically the sequel of The Karate Kid. So it's actually got the stars of the the original 1984 oh, movie. Oh, you're kidding me. Really? Ralph Macchio. Is and it wax the, on, wax off? Yes. It's all – It's it's all, not all because some of them are passed away, but it's people from the original – um, who didn't necessarily appear in Karate Kid, Karate Kid 2 or 3. They were in 1. And mm. this television series is the sequel, um, except it's, you know, a television series. There are, have already been two seasons of 10 episodes each. It started off, interestingly, as a um, web series on YouTube Red, now called YouTube Premium. So you could only watch it if you um, were on YouTube Premium. But it's now on Netflix and the whole world is loving it and oh. it's just so clever. It's so, so much fun. We have now scheduled that Sunday night's going to be, um, we're going to watch the Karate Kid again because it's just, just incredibly well done. I f I'm literally on the sofa cheering. Okay, <laughs> good. Sounds like something I need to get into. That's my happy place right now. Anyway, Excellent. if you are watching Cobra Kai, yeah. I, I I relate. Anyway, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? 
You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, you'll find all of the show notes over at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>